0: You are entering the Freedom Hut.
1: General Flynn walks
2: free. Arrests are made in the shooting of Ahmed Arbery. Russia documents released tell us that some pundits on TV weren't telling the truth. Operation Gideon, the failed overthrow of Venezuela's Nicolas Maduro. And we got guests like Glenn Jacobs, Jack Carr, and Jesse Kelly coming up.
0: This, this is the Buck Sexton, Sexton Show, Show. Where the mission, Our mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence.
1: Russia. One more thing. Make no mistake. America. Your you're a great America again.
0: The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It
1: is Buck Sexton now. Uh, He was an innocent man. He is a uh, great gentleman. He was targeted by the Obama administration, and he was targeted in order to try and take down a president. And what they've done is a disgrace, and I hope a big price is going to be paid. A big price should be paid. There's never been anything like this in the history of our country. What they did, what the Obama administration did, is uh, unprecedented, It's never happened, never happened. A thing like this has never happened before in the history of our country.
2: Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everyone. Celebrate a good moment here, if you will. After years of being dragged through the mud, bankrupted, ruined, threatening him, threatening his family, uh, the thuggery on display from some of these FBI and DOJ folks was completely jaw-dropping. But after years of that, General Flynn is now walking a free man. Now, this is something we've been waiting for, and we've talked about this countless times on the show, and it it really is the end of at least one chapter here, which is the left's stop-at-nothing, scorched-earth war using the weaponization of the intelligence community, a completely and disgracefully complicit lib media, and every dirty trick and tool the DNC could either push, pay for, or otherwise bring into being. With all of that going on, they try to take down General Flynn. It looks like they, in the end, were unsuccessful. Now, I would note it's not really victory, not yet, or it's not really justice. Now, this is a huge step toward justice, But before we could really say that all has been set right in this situation, what we would need to see is a number of FBI, uh, former FBI now, mostly, I think, all of them, FBI agents and perhaps some DOJ folks in handcuffs facing charges of their own. You might say, what charge would they be guilty of? And to that I would just say official misuse of position. It's on the books. There are all kinds of ways that when you work in the federal government, if they want to go after you, if you do something really bad, they can. Now, would it stick? Would they go to prison? I don't know. But we know what they did was disgusting. And Comey and McCabe and Yates and you name it, a whole bunch of them, Struck and Page, they should be facing criminal charges for what they did. And, you know, I'm not somebody that's always running around yelling, lock her up, lock him up. I'm not I'm not a person who does that. This actually demands this this deserves and demands a response in the in the criminal courts. They ruined a person. they used the power that they were entrusted with by the American people to do so, and it was a scheme. It was a, part, a partisan hit. It was done out of a bitterness against Donald Trump and everybody around him. He wasn't supposed to win that 2016 election, and he did, and they wanted to get even that 's what this was. This was their effort to even. The score, And with the memos that have come out, uh, we see from the FBI agents involved in this clear entrapment. Uh, I mean, this, this is as as obvious as it could be now. I mean, when, when you look at, at the evidence that has come out here, we've we've had to embrace really something of a shift. You know, a Jerno's position on General Flynn's prosecution has long been a test of intelligence and ethics and countless lips have been failing that for years. But now their position on General Flynn is really a test of sanity because believing that Flynn's prosecution was legit given facts we now know is straight up insane. Insane in the membrane. This is not something that anybody could still uh, justify. And as you see the Legions of experts and Democrat politicians appearing on MSNBC and CNN crying over the Flynn decision. Oh, the Justice Department has lost its way. Just remember that they were entirely wrong about Russia collusion and the Ukraine phone call impeachment farce. So it's been a tough first Trump term for them. Let's see how they do, God willing, during Trump term two, which we're still hoping will happen. And I've got to say between the Waco series on Netflix, which I finished last night and this dismissal by the Department of Justice of the case against former national security advisor, Trump confidant and associate three star general, former D.I.A. director, General Michael Flynn between the Waco series and the dismissal of the Flynn case. It's not not a good week when it comes to public perception of the trustworthiness and judgment of federal law enforcement. Not not good stuff. Um, But until the FBI conspirators against Flynn are in prison, we have not seen justice here. And that means McCabe and that means Comey. Uh, They're very fond of using the the tool of investigation as a weapon against people they don't like. Well, that tool can be used and should be used against them. They should be subject to full investigation. And you know what? They should be held accountable for this. If this was not official misuse of position, I want to know what is. If this is not a form of corruption of office, think of the charges that these individuals have brought against people in the past. They set someone up to lie. He didn't Flynn. He didn't even lie. They, they, The FBI was lying about what they were doing there. They completely abused their discretion with the law under the The usage of the Logan Act as a pretext for this. I mean, the whole thing was absolutely absurd. They should not be allowed to get away with it. And this should really frighten people that McCabe was acting FBI director and that Comey was FBI director before him. Remember, Comey's not really a lawman. He's a lawyer. He's a sanctimonious, self-righteous lawyer. This is not a guy who was, you know, wrestling crack dealers and you know saving uh, saving little girls from being kidnapped across state lines and stuff it's, it's not the FBI g man you th- you think of at all comey's a lawyer and really a politician and that he was able to i know for multiple administrations of both parties just keep worming his way up the ranks speaks very poorly to what is rewarded within the federal bureaucracy. But it's not surprising to me at all. People ask me why I left the federal bureaucracy. I usually tell them, how many hours do you have? How much time do you got? There's a lot of corruption and rot, and there's a disincentive uh, for excellence, for free thinking, for ambition, uh, but ambition within the scope of the mission, not just, you know, I'm trying to advance myself up the ranks. I mean holding oneself to a a higher standard when it comes to achievement, not when it comes to CYA and kissing up to the right people in positions of authority within the bureaucracy. That's where Comey really excelled, playing the system. And now it's time we hold him accountable. You know, Andy McCabe, who lied under oath and is not being charged, which I think is a huge mistake from the DOJ's perspective. But here's what you have to remember with that. If he was charged, he would be charged in Washington, D.C. Do you think... You'd be able to find a jury of Andy McCabe's peers at this point in D.C., which is 97 percent anti-Trump, basically. You think you'd find a jury that would send Andy McCabe to prison for lying? Nope. He's a hero of the resistance. So DOJ not pressing charges against him. I think as as much as that is just a gut punch, I can see that there is some prudence in it. It feels wrong and I'm not saying it's right. But there may be prudence. Annie McCabe and others, of course, are still going to um, they're still going to be running around spreading their lies and, and their intellectual filth. Anything in order to justify the decisions they've already made. Attorney General Barr, who, as you know, I, I don't you know, elevate any members of the administration or, or politicians into being in hero status or anything like that. These are all just people. They make mistakes. They're, we always got to remember that. Uh, we, we applaud them for their good actions, and we hope for their good character, but they also, they'll always disappoint you at some point. That all said, A.G. Barr has been the single best pick in the cabinet for this administration for the first four years of Trump, in my estimation. The single strongest member of Trump's cabinet. Most The most important one, and I think he has effectively saved the Trump presidency. I, I really think that that's a that's a fair thing to say. And I know that's a big statement, but I think he saved it uh, because if you would have I mean, just look at what and I, he's a nice man and he is a well-intentioned guy. And I know he likes this radio show, but, you know, Attorney General Sessions was just not up for the street fight that he was thrown into. He just wasn't up for it. Which was a problem. But here's Attorney General Barr, who is up for it, who knows how this game is played, who understands who the enemy really is. Here's what he says about this decision to drop the charges against General Flynn, which is a huge, I mean, high five to all of you listening to this show and all of us who have been pushing publicly or even just among friends for how this was an injustice and Flynn should be pardoned. We were right and the libs were wrong. Don't forget that. Don't just pass beyond this moment without taking stock of it. And here's the attorney general saying, oh, yeah, we need to have one standard of justice. Play six. A crime cannot be established here. They did not have a basis for
3: a counterintelligence investigation against Flynn at that stage.
0: Does the fact
2: remain
4: that he lied?
3: Well, you know, people sometimes uh, plead to things uh, that turn out not to be crimes.
4: What should Americans take away from your actions
2: in the Flynn case today? I want to make sure uh, that we restore confidence in the system. There's only one standard of justice. You really know a lot about a person at this stage, if they've been following this issue and if they're uh, a public voice on it, if they double down now and say, oh, it's the corrupt Justice Department. I mean, people who who are truly just morons. And there's a lot of them out there. The, uh, was it the law the Lawfare blog or one of those sites? One of these ridiculous, uh, these ridiculous websites that has legal experts. They're all, oh, this is a terrible day for the Justice Department. What, what are they now saying that that we should have the FBI go after people for violations of the Logan Act? The Logan Act is so broad, so vague and so clearly unconstitutional. It hasn't been used in one hundred and seventy years or so. But we still should. Yeah, we, we still should go with it. Come on. This is absurd. But they they cling to this fiction. Uh, they cling to it. Now, before I get into some of their truly pathetic uh, attempts to to defend this, um, the meaning to, to defend the media's position here, I, I just want to note that one of the things I'm most proud of here on the show is that uh, we've for for years now on all these issues of Russia collusion, everything else, I've always been open to all the new facts and data that come in. And I have never had to go on air on this show and say, wow, I really missed that one. Sorry, guys, wrong on this one. Oh, they really got him. Never happened. You've been supporting me. You've agreed with me. We have been right on the injustice done to General Flynn for years. I have publicly advocated all the way up the chain as much as I can for a pardon for him. Now it looks like that is no longer necessary. Thank heavens. But it's a tough, uh, a tough situation out there in the country, and I know we've been through a lot of gloom and doom. Take a moment, my friends. Justice. It's, it's a wonderful, it's a delicious thing when it happens. And we're close to it now with Flynn. We're not quite there yet, but this was a big win, and we were on the right side of it. And people that look down their noses at you, people in the media or maybe even in your day-to-day life who think you're crazy because you weren't calling a decorated veteran combat hero who wanted to serve his country in the Trump administration like General Flynn, because you wouldn't call him a traitor. You you were simple. You were a rube. You didn't know anything. You didn't know any better. Yeah? You were right. I was right. They were wrong. Who are the rubes
0: now, libs? You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show Podcast. It's a pretty dark place on social media. The very first comment after the story broke that I saw on Twitter was, Putin, if you're listening, high five your asset. And there are Russian flags and Russian Mm -hmm. memes popping up. And now we see Bill Barr really just doing Donald
4: Trump's dirty work.
1: Now he has in his back pocket a little AG who saw to it to let Flynn go.
4: It is, uh, I think, breathtaking dishonesty from the Justice Department. This is the collapse of the Justice Department.
1: Now, Katyal, you caught my breath with the collapse of the Justice Department. This is
0: a case where the fix was in. The fix is in.
4: Not good for the rule of law. It's not good for morale. And it's not a fair outcome. This is an absolute injustice. I don't worry anyone who who cares about the rule of law.
5: Mike Flynn's
1: lawyers have been engaged in a smear campaign. This is a political and incredibly destructive thing to the rule of law.
6: It's all heading towards the president wiping the Mueller investigation uh, out of the history books, at least as far as criminal conviction.
2: Oh, my. Just, just. Bathe in the media lib tears for a moment. Oh, oh, it's destroying the DJ. By the way, uh, that's a credit to NewsBusters who pulled together that montage. It's a great montage that they they, they did. Um, NewsBusters does some really good stuff. But I, I gotta say, I gotta say, what are they even? How are they even making this argument? They never should. It's not. It's not possible to tell a material lie about a non-material investigation because the investigation had no predicate. What do these idiots not understand? If someone in the FBI walks up to me and says, hey, have you ever cheated on your wife? I mean, I'm not married, so this would be easy, but but, you know, have you ever cheated on your wife? And I said, no, and it turned out that's true. The FBI doesn't get to throw me in prison for lying to the FBI. Right. If someone's dating an FBI officer, FBI agent, rather CIA officer, FBI agent, if someone's dating an FBI agent and, and the FBI agent's like, hey, we're worried last night and he or she lies, you don't get to throw that person in prison for lying to the FBI. Do the do the idiot libs not really understand this? That's what the attorney general is referring to. It's not really a crime because there really was no investigation. There was no basis for this. They were and it was clear from the conversation that this was a setup and that's not justice. It was pretextual. Any normal judge would throw this out. Let me tell you, I'm a little, a little concerned about whether Sullivan will delay this. Judge Sullivan, he's crazy. He he sometimes gets it right, but he also talked about treason and charges that that Flynn wasn't even facing about a year ago. I mean, so he's had su- Judge Emmett Sullivan has had some outbursts in this case where he's just he's out of it. He's nuts, but occasionally he gets stuff right. Uh, he may slow this down a little bit. Say, oh, I don't know if this can really... Why is the DOJ backing off this? Think about... And, and the person who backed off the case, or rather made the final determination, they're all saying, oh, it's a Trump, it's a Trump fix. Uh, the guy's been working at the DOJ for 10 years. He's a career professional. And it was his call. And he went to the attorney general. He said, we, we can't continue with this. Who really believes that it would be just... Well, what do they want? They want... Flynn to, to get his zero jail time sentence anyway. That's what he was going likely going to get out of this. What do they really think was the victory here? Oh, this was all about creating some some uh, basis for the figment of liberals imagination. That is Russia collusion and that there was all this, all, all these Russian machinations behind the scenes. This was a mass hysteria. Now, this is all frightening, folks, because the mass hysteria about Russia collusion was really a warning about now the mass hysteria about endless lockdown with COVID-19 that we're seeing. But I'll return to that later.
0: Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your
4: podcasts. The president debases himself and reduces himself every day by um you know saying disgusting things about people and in this case saying disgusting things about people who dedicated their lives to protecting this country and their fellow citizens that's all um horrendous and we're unfortunately used to that by now but i would point out that um, general flynn was not targeted he was Properly investigated in a well-predicated case, a case that's been a case whose validity has been proven not just by those of us who are involved, but later by the Mueller investigation. And after that, by the inspector general's investigation, Um, he was investigated because we had reason to believe he presented a threat to national security. I still think that those things are worthy of investigation. Apparently, the president does not.
2: What a scum. What a disgusting, slimy little disgrace this guy is. This guy was acting, acting director of the FBI. I mean, he was involved in making decisions about who's, who was going to be a target of the, of the most powerful federal law enforcement agency in the United States, one that will investigate cases that involve any U.S. persons or interests all over the world. I mean, this, this, the FBI is a big deal. And the fact that this guy was running it for for months and before him, James Comey was running it. They thought they thought that General Flynn was a a threat to national security. No, they manufactured a belief that General Flynn was a threat to national security. And, you know, at some point, someone should just look this little sleazy, dishonest scum McCabe in the eyes and say, how blanking dare you? What have you done for this country that General Michael Flynn hasn't done? What do you think? You think because, you know, you, you spent a career, you know, mostly locking up guys for, you know, Medicare fraud and uh, uh, running uh, illegal drugs. You know, you, you think you, you're a hero, but General Flynn is not. You know, we're all going to give you the benefit of the doubt. And oh, you're a great guy. General Flynn, he's be- oh Oh, because he was willing to work for the Trump administration which it's just it really is. And I'm, I've i tried not to go here, folks, and I know this is a little bit of a digression, but there's a part of me that just can't get over how it is. And I know this COVID thing is horrible. It's all just also so from a historical sense, though, so unfair that the Trump administration was just crushing it and the libs were in a panic because things were so good. And we've basically now got a a real election that's going to happen where it's going to be tight. It's going to be close because of the equivalent of, you know, an asteroid hitting the planet. Really? I mean, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? But the first three years of Trump were three of the look, there were three of the best years of my life. Um, We weren't we weren't all. Worried about terrorist attacks all the time. We weren't uh, all wondering if, you know, the future was going to be brighter economically and if people could get jobs and and we weren't starting wars. We didn't need to. And, you know, but now the libs get lucky. They get lucky with the the devastation and catastrophe that has hit the entire world. But now now they can put forward, you know, Biden, the El Cid candidate. Just just put him on that horse and. Send him off into battle, you know, prop the body up and just send El will sit out there and they'll run away. And, uh, great movie, by the way, worth watching if you've never seen it. Real masterpiece for what it is. But I, I go back here to McCabe. I don't understand uh, how anyone can take this guy even a little bit seriously. I mean, Comey went to Twitter that this was a dark day for the Department of Justice. It's, I think it's lost its way is what he said about it. That was the quote on Twitter. Uh, James Comey, who remember these people that are that are still treated as having all this credibility, uh, credibility in the media, their own institution has found them to be dishonest, to have broken rules, to have to have set a horrible example for the rank and file of the FBI. And they uh, they're not they're not apologetic. At all. Not a little bit. McCabe, the same guy, the same smarmy little jerk. That's all. Oh, this was a legitimate investigation. And, uh, and these people were they were locking people up for years and years and years. Do you think Comey and McCabe have good judgment about who should go to prison? Now, you would say, Buck, they're the prosecutors. Yeah, but. The FBI is working hand in glove with the prosecutors and the FBI decides when, you know, know what the most momentous decision is in the whole apparatus of federal law enforcement. Who to investigate and who not to. That's the first step. And to investigate is often to destroy. Right. If they want to go after you. Just the investigative process. Ask anybody who you know, works at a financial firm or works at a big company. All it takes is those dudes and dudettes in windbreakers that say FBI to come into your office. Doesn't matter if, if uh, you know, two weeks later it was, whoopsie, we made a mistake. All it takes is the FBI to come in your office, photos on, the, on TV and, and in the newspaper, and your company may be done and your reputation may never recover. So the decision to investigate is the first real assault. And then the decision to prosecute is the decision to destroy. As I've told you, once you're prosecuted, as they've done to Flynn, you're bankrupted, you're ruined. Where does Flynn go to get his reputation back? I, I really mean this, too. General Flynn deserves to be back in the Trump administration. This is not a joke. This is not a troll. They robbed him of this. And they might. They will say, oh, but you know, he, he, he lied to Mike Pence. No, now we find out he really, the FBI didn't think he lied. He really just didn't even remember because this was such an insignificant conversation with Kizilyak among all the different things that are going on for an incoming national security advisor. He's basically saying, hey, man, just chill. We're coming in. We'll handle things a little bit differently over the course of a conversation. That's it. Nothing illegal about that. It was the right thing to tell him. What was wrong was Obama being Mr. Tough Guy as he's leaving office, not going to be in power anymore, and just kicking sand in the eyes of the Russians. Why? Not because he cares about Russia. As you remember, you know, I will transmit this to Vladimir, right? I'll, I'll have more or more space to maneuver after the next election, after, the, you know, the people can't actually judge me for the stuff I do. And... Then Obama gets all tough when he's not going to be president anymore, makes life harder for the incoming administration. And we know that he got all fired up about Russia because Hillary lost because of Russia interference. Hillary lost because she's horrible. All right. We all know it. Oh, but no, McCabe still still sticks to the script here. Still saying the usual bull crap, man. I, You know. Team, should I do a version? Should I do a podcast where I can actually use salty language? I've really been thinking about this. Not for the kids, all right? We'd have an 18-plus warning on it. I feel like it'd be fun to do a, like a, uh, you know, a, a scotch and beer version. I can't drink beer, but a scotch and beer version of this podcast for just the adults where I could just do the, you know, we bring producer market, too. You want to hear salty language. The man is not shy. But uh, Anyway. This McCabe thing, I mean, this just really this whole thing rubs me the wrong way, you know, because I also remember I had a few run ins in my day, relatively minor ones. But I had a few run ins with the with the um, uh, internal security apparatus of the CIA. And uh, they were they were Andy McCabe's and they were Jim Comey's, except much lower level. Um, but they were bad people. Uh, there were bad people who were bitter and weren't really contributing to the mission and all they do is harass people and just you know rifle through your finances and sift through your underwear drawer and see what they find they're gross not all of them pretty much all of them but most of them so i understand this mentality oh i'm just doing my job really you pick when to do your job and when not to so don't ever say you're not just doing your job or you're just doing your job um but here's uh, McCabe for you.
4: Still still sticking with it. Play clip 10. Conservative media has been obsessed with finding some indication of a setup since this all started, you know, several years ago. It's the, the simple fact is it absolutely did not happen, and I think that those notes, if in fact they are Bill pre are indi- are indicative of that. A team got together and discussed the strategy. How do we approach this interview? What sorts of things should we be thinking about? I think those notes reflect one person's internal deliberations across the range of options that might that might take place uh-huh. um, We strategize about interviews every day When we sit down with a terrorist We think about will they admit to the crimes That we think they have committed Or will they lie about their known associations and If they lie Will that give us something else Additional leverage that we can apply in our investigation That's exactly what happened with General it-
2: What were they investigating? I mean that, that's A real journalist would push that I'm sorry, what were you investigating? The Lo- The Logan Act? You, you really think that that's okay? I mean, that's where you have to drill in and look this beady-eyed little scum McCabe right in the face and say, I'm sorry, what, what do you think you're doing, tough guy? You're going after a decorated veteran who's the incoming national security advisor with the Logan Act. They had already been told they were going to close the uh, counterintelligence investigation on him. They knew there was nothing and people bring up the federal f- registration. I mean, my friends, if you know enough about federal law, there are there's a whole book written by Harvey uh, Silvergate and it's called like two felonies a day or five felonies a day or whatever it is. And it's just about all the laws you're breaking all the time without even realizing it. But we we assume and we shouldn't have to, but we assume that law enforcement's going to prioritize and that, you know, you have to actually do something bad that hurts someone or something for there to be consequences against you. It can't just be like, yeah, there's this obscure law that no one's ever really heard of and knows about, and you couldn't even define what it is, but we're going to get you with that one. That's how McCabe plays the game, straight out of Lavrentiy Beria of the Soviet Union. would be very proud of the mentality that Comey and McCabe have. These people are disgusting. I would not shake James Comey's hand. I would not show James Comey respect in person. I do not think he is deserving of it. I think he's a bad human being who needs to do a lot of penance. Same thing with McCabe. This isn't just some partisan spat. These are people who are undermining the very foundation of our country's judicial system, of our law enforcement system. They are breaking faith with the American people, with institutions that can do any of us real harm. The greatest threat to tyranny that we face is from our own institutions turning against us and abandoning the Constitution. For partisan reasons, thinking that they're making the country a better place in the process. You know, everyone always thinks there's a good reason for whatever they're doing. Doesn't make doesn't mean that they're right. As we know, every evildoer will have some explanation for why they're doing what they do. Uh, The fact that Comey and McCabe are likely to escape prison uh, just goes to show you that we still don't have any real accountability in our system. But thank heavens, General Flynn is not going to be uh, not going to have this on his record. Um, and if they're I've never seen before what happens at this point because he hasn't been sentenced. So I'm assuming that they'll they'll wipe this away. They're dropping the case against him. Um, but Trump should maybe Trump should just write a pardon for him anyway, <laughs> just just to be just to be on the safe side. Uh, and he should bring him back into the administration. He should make him a senior advisor, senior advisor for intelligence coordination with law enforcement. How about that? That'd be a great idea and have some of these deep state morons who thought they knew better than the American people and wanted to play games, they'd have to go in and brief Flynn when he wants a briefing, answer his questions, write some memos for him, go get him some coffee.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. That iconic music screams. Summer. And we all scream. FOR ICE CREAM.
2: BUT DURING A PANDEMIC, SOCIAL distance THE RULE GETTING CLOSE TO THE ICE CREAM MAN COULD MEAN GETTING SOMETHING ELSE. FACT OF LIFE. YET HERE'S MR. FREEZE, NOT HIS NAME, IN HIS TRUCK OF TREATS, UNMASKED,
6: ungloved, TAKING CASH FOR CONES IN THE NORTHWEST BURBS. That's when CBS 2 assignment editor Greg Kelly, father of two, dad on a bike, said, Wait a minute. You
0: think it's a good idea to be doing this with the stay at home order COVID 19? Eventually, our Greg got a bit closer, it. tried to get an answer from Mr. Freeze.
1: Not firm, Again,
7: it's not his name.
1: Why aren't are you, take, uh, why are you wearing a mask? Why are you trying to take ice cream out of Why are you selling ice cream to
7: children without wearing a mask?
1: Why are you trying Are
8: you sick? Am I sick? No, and I want to say but that. I'm that not
1: way. sick either.
7: Why are they quarantining healthy people? What's your they,
2: This is not a law. I hate this. I really do. I mean, this CBS 2 affiliate, whatever. First of all, you know, you're harassing a small businessman here. The guy's trying to sell ice cream. He's trying to make some money, trying to make a living. And he's not wearing a mask. The chance of him, l- l- let's just understand this. It is overwhelmingly likely that he does not, in fact, have COVID-19. I know we can't say he definitely doesn't, but it is very likely that he does not, in fact, have COVID-19. Okay, So that means that he is at zero risk of doing anything to anybody else, even if, in fact, he has COVID-19 and he has a brief interaction with somebody. You would think the chances of them getting COVID-19, especially if it's children, which is what the whole thing is. Oh, he might be infecting children. Children, it's difficult for them to get this. And if they get it, it is effectively changes uh, nothing about about their they have no symptoms their Their health is not neg- negatively impacted. But, you know, instead of going up to the guy and saying, hey, man, could you wear some gloves or a mask? You know, that, that's the responsible way to do this. If you if you want to make a thing of it to shame him. Yes. Let's go out there. Let's be the smug journo morons and go out and shame the business owner and put him on TV. And, you know, how dare he try to feed his family, feed himself, put food on the table, pay his rent. Oh. <gasps> awful what a terrible man are we really how, how long do these morons think we're going to have to do we're going to wear masks and gloves forever is that their plan or until the the panic the panic legions decide that it's okay for us to start living our lives again you know i'm i'm sorry but other people's unbelievable fear i mean we've seen this with uh with climate change too you know oh the world's going to end so do everything i say about everything you better recycle you know it was interesting here and this is a small thing But here in New York, we had the plastic bag ban go into effect in New York State, New York City. Right before this, a few weeks before the pandemic really broke out. And you know what's happened now? I'm getting plastic bags all the time. Do you know why? Because when there's real problems, people realize that's moronic. It's just annoying, stupid harassment. Oh, but the baby seals and the plastic bags and what are we going to do? No, it was dumb. It was a dumb rule. It's not even better for the environment when you look at the impact uh, on trees and the fuel ratio for taking the heavier paper bags and also the disease risk of, you know, people not being able to or people bringing rather these reusable bags, which are much more likely to have a whole bunch of. Yeah, that's right. Bacteria, viruses and disease on them. (sighs) But it was stupid. And I told you it was stupid. And and when, when this stuff hit the fan, guess what? Everybody else realized it was, in fact, dumb It was not something we should have been doing. Oh, gee. Now we all figure it out. There's a need to wear some protection in some places at some times. We all understand that. And if you really don't want the ice cream from the ice cream man, and you say that, I mean, I will say this. Should he probably be wearing gloves irrespective of COVID-19? I think the answer is yes. I think food service handling. So, So that I'm a little more like, you know, Okay, but, you know, to say, oh, you have to be wearing a mask, we're going to wear. Are we we really setting up society to wear masks until there's a vaccine? Anytime you go outside, when outdoor transmission or a a brief, uh, brief moment in contact with somebody, unless they're breathing right on your face, um, is very unlikely to spread this virus. Is that what we're really accepting now? I've got to tell you, I really. Uh, the the virtue signaling from people on this. Look, it's a complicated, difficult thing. And we're losing we're still losing a lot of really losing a lot of seniors. That's who we're losing as a result of this, which is tragic. Um, And this is a tough time for the country. But this has now become so thoroughly politicized. And it's just it's just wrong on every level. This is not about left and right. It shouldn't be about pro-Trump, anti-Trump. But that's what the left has turned it into. You know, if you disagree with wearing a mask forever, you're probably one of those gun-toting second amendment liking constitution reading folks. Well, at least they released uh, Shelley Luther in Texas. That was a victory for sanity, but there's still a lot of crazy people out there and shaming small business owners for trying to open,
0: it's not cool. Thanks for listening to the Bus, Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Okay, everybody, to give us a little additional freedom perspective, a focus on liberty at a time when the country's liberty seems to be in tremendous peril, we are joined by Glenn Jacobs. He is the mayor of Knox County, Tennessee, also familiar to many of you, I'm sure, as the WWE wrestler formerly known as Kane. He joins us now. Glenn, great to have you on, sir.
7: Hey, thanks, Buck. I appreciate it.
2: So, uh, my friend, what is good? First, let's start with Tennessee and then we'll take this nationwide. We're in the midst of this lockdown still. Some states are reopening a little bit. I've read a little that Nashville has had some cases and there's been, you know, there's been a bit of a scare there. But how are you guys doing statewide? How has your governor been in this process? Tell me, let's talk about how Tennessee's handling COVID. Then we'll talk about the national response.
7: Sure. Uh, Tennessee did not go nearly as far as many other states did with executive orders. Uh, There was a safer at home order issued, uh, but it wasn't like California and and some other places where we see really uh, draconian enforcement. Um, You know, some restaurants and bars were closed, um, and now they're back in limited capacity, and some other businesses were closed. Uh, But overall, we didn't go nearly as far as other states. We're starting to move in. Uh, the other direction now we're starting to open things back up and uh, we're we probably don't get as much press as say Georgia did when when they did it but we're still we're right there with them uh, as far as what we're doing and uh, compared to everybody else I guess it's actually pretty aggressive uh, opening businesses up and
2: I mean just allowing people to get back out. We're speaking to uh, Glenn Jacobs he's the mayor of Knox County Uh, Mayor Jacobs well The country, it seems to me, had this panic reaction and it was based in. And look, there were a couple of weeks there where I was like, well, I I guess I mean, if we're really facing what they're saying we're facing and the way that they're telling us it's going to happen, we don't seem to have a lot of choice. But we've gone from 15 days to stop the spread to now 50 some odd days to stop the spread. Although there is some, as you said, some reopening in some places uh, have you been surprised by the, the speed and the ease with which so many people seem to have uh, r- relieved or allowed the state to relieve them of their liberties in this situation?
7: I really have. Uh, and it's really uh, it's disturbing because, as you said, it went from a, um, an idea of flattening the curse of so the health care system wouldn't be overloaded which is something I think that we can all look at and say, okay, that that's reasonable. Although uh, again, I'm, you know, know, I I don't think that the government should be mandating people stay inside or mandating a lot of things that went on, but you can understand for a short period of time, as you said, 15 days to flatten the curve. Okay. Well, then it went to, well, actually now we, we can't, we can't go back out and we can't open businesses until there's a vaccine it's like well wait a second you guys said one thing now you're saying something else and you've gone you know if you actually read what like neil ferguson from the imperial college of london said with their report which was the one that caused everyone to completely freak out which was 2.2 million deaths in america they said that if you're gonna do a lockdown route that heck that can be up to 18 months and i was going wait a second you, we, there, we'll there we'll be in a stone age if we go on an 18 month lockdown. This is not possible. Um, and even Ferguson, his report acknowledged that. Um, and the thing is, too, we have these models, and the models keep on changing. And of course, the models are only as good as the data, and they don't predict the future. I don't think that they ever really should have been used for. Public policy purposes, they should have been used for epidemiological purposes and look at the spread. Uh, and certainly, policymakers maybe should have taken them into account. But that became the driving force behind all these policy decisions. And then the problem with that, Buck, is as a as an elected official, I have to look at this big picture. You know, this big puzzle of the community's overall well-being and health. And certainly. This plays into that. You also have to think about the economic health of the community. And, you know, for the folks out there that think, well, you're putting profits over people. No, if you don't have a healthy economy, you're not going to have healthy people. And what we've done now is we've concentrated so much on the public health aspect that we forgot about everything else. And then we don't even know if if this lockdown strategy is going to work. When you look at, at these statistics from various countries and compare those, the, we don't know that it actually works and then we don't know what the arc of the disease looks like because of things like herd immunity and if you if, if you have a lockdown and people go back out, well then are you going to have a second wave? There's a lot of unanswered questions and we just said, okay, it's fine. Just government do whatever you need to do? Protect us and we will trust you. And that's a very dangerous road to be on and history shows us that. We're speaking
2: to Glenn Jacobs. He's the mayor of Knox County, Tennessee. Uh, mayor Jacobs, The debt is also something that, I mean, at least when I came into conservative media about a decade, a decade ago, there was a lot of concern about the debt. Well, it's gotten a lot worse since then. And what we see going on now is truly uh, unprecedented. You're going to end up with. I mean, no one really knows right now, but trillions of dollars of additional spending. And also, I think, and this is the part of this that people haven't factored in trillions of dollars less in tax receipts and and revenue across the board, too. Right. So we're we're going to be spending a whole lot more money as a government. And the government at the end of the year is going to be taking in a whole lot less money. So it's going to be a gulf that's wider than people even recognize. How do you see that pressure playing out in the economy? And how worried are you about? the prospect of just the United States being at, in the neighborhood of $30 trillion in debt by the end of this year, which some are saying is possible.
7: I'm very worried about that. In fact, I'm much more worried about that than I am the direct impact of Uh, COVID-19. COVID-19 is a serious public health issue. Um, And it's something certainly that that needed to be addressed. Uh, But what's happened now with the way that we've reacted is we've caused an economic collapse that's going to end up bringing in a monetary and fiscal crisis, which is going to cause political upheaval at some point. As you said, uh, we're going to come out of this with $30 trillion in debt. In uh, 2008, when we had the, the Great Recession, the country had about $10 trillion in debt. And you look at what was done then, and this was a huge event, it pales in comparison what's going on right now as far as the amount of money the federal government spending we should all keep in mind the federal government doesn't have any money the federal reserve can print money and that's what's happening right now and that's going to have a deleterious effect on the dollar purchasing power of the dollar and the strength of the dollar Uh, currently we're in bretton woods 2 is the world monetary system i think we can all assume at this point bretton wood 2 is dead and something else is going to replace that none of us knows what that is um but that's what I see. Is I see in the end, the the monetary situation, the fiscal situation. Um, currently, the federal government pays about 400 billion dollars a year in debt service on 23, 24 trillion dollars in debt. That's going to go up even higher. Uh, they're trying to offset a deflationary spiral by throwing all this money into the economy. Uh, It's going to take a while for that to happen because people just aren't going to spend money. The the money circulation, the velocity of money is very low, so inflation is going to be very low. And economists and the Fed are just going to keep on saying, throw more money, throw more money, throw more money. So you actually have an inflationary bomb in the economy. Uh, and when things start picking back up and that inflation starts picking back up because of the huge amount of debt service that the federal government has to pay, they're not going to be able to raise interest rates like they have in the past. So a uh, term, over the next, I don't know how many years, however long it takes um, the U S unfortunately is going to be in a, a very precarious situation.
2: Speaking to Glenn Jacobs, mayor of Knox County, Tennessee and mayor uh, to that end. Uh, I want to know what the picture is for small businesses, I mean, your county has uh, hundreds of thousands of residents. So obviously a lot of businesses that are shut down right now must be struggling mightily. I know the Paycheck Protection Program, we had Monica Crowley from Treasury on, on my show uh, earlier in the week, on one of my shows earlier in the week, talking about what PPP has done. But even she admitted, look, it's the government program. It's not perfect, but it's, it's, it's helping. But what are you hearing from small business owners and and what are your concerns about the ability of both businesses currently shuttered to reopen and people who have lost as we know what 20 some odd million now have officially lost jobs probably more like 30 million overall but of the people who've lost jobs in your state that they'll be able to get those jobs back
7: that's a huge issue uh Small businesses are going to be the ones that are hurt the most by this. Uh, the large businesses, the national chains, they have the revenue and the capital to survive something like this. Small businesses don't. And even now what we're doing uh, in Knox County and the state of Tennessee uh, we have the gradual phased—I'm uh, sorry, excuse me—gradual phased opening plan, which is, of course, better than nothing. But still, now businesses have had, in some cases, no revenue for a month or six weeks, and now they're going to get like maybe half, maybe 25 percent of their normal revenue. Businesses can't survive like that. Uh, and, and again, especially, especially the small businesses, which are going to be harmed the worst, uh, and those are the backbone our economy. They're the backbone of our local economy. They're the backbone of the national economy. And then when you think about people coming back to work, uh, an issue with now the federal government trying to help people is the fact that uh, in some cases they're making more money on unemployment than an employer can afford to pay them. So they're going to want to stay on that. And rightfully so. I don't blame them for as long as they can, which is gonna cause another impact in the labor markets. Um, so, as you point out, it, it's the, the big guys, um, for the most part, I'm not gonna say they're gonna be okay, because we've seen some bankruptcies in big companies, but they're much more prepared and much more equipped to weather this than the small businesses. And of course, the small businesses, that, that's our neighbors. It's the mom and pop shops that many of us go to and, and support. Um, and the people that are involved in our community uh and it's really a it's really a travesty one of my messages is always to the extent that you can and to the extent that you're comfortable please support your local small business if you want if you want to see them after all this is over and they're still in business it's up to us right now to do the most that we can to help support them
2: mayor glenn jacobs thanks so much sir i'll be out in tennessee soon hopefully you guys will all be open we can get a beer
7: Look me up, please,
2: Buck. Thank you. You take care.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
1: Pandemics have been in the world before and people survived them. Um, We, of course, could have survived this much better if... uh, Idiot had done the right thing and listened and heeded all the warnings. There were many, many warnings. And we are all paying for it now. Um, it, it would have been bad, maybe in some ways, but never like this.
7: Hey,
2: Robert De Niro thinks that it would have been bad, but it wouldn't have been that bad. But, you know, the idiot who doesn't like. And, uh, you know, hey, it's. Uh, is he doesn't like Trump. Why do we have to hear from Robert De Niro about pandemic response? I mean, I early I'm just wondering, does he know anything other than how to play basically the same character in a bunch of movies? Granted, some very watchable movies. Uh, you know, we give credit where it's due here. Casino. Actually, producer Mark, is Casino a better movie or Goodfellas a better movie? No, I'd say Goodfellas. Yeah, I think, I think Goodfellas is the right choice there. Casino is a little bit soul crushing. You know, it's I mean, not that there's not some of that in Goodfellas, too. But Casino is like it's it kind of just too depressing toward the end. I found, uh, you know, it's really you kind of you end up watching the movie. You're just like, oh, humanity is doomed. This is bad. Um, but you know, there's some very, very watchable movies, very good things. I actually think that uh, Meet the Parents is one of his better, <laughs> one of his better movies. You know, little Jigsy, little Jigsy, little little milking the cat Jigsy. Yeah, know? I love those movies. That's a great, that's a great movie. To me, the funniest parts of of Meet the Parents were the the Jigsy the Cat thing. And then also, because I feel like we've all been there before where we're forced to be in some kind of a competitive environment. Where you don't really want to compete, but like now you're now people are like, well, why aren't you better at this? And then you kind of turn it up a little bit. And now you're the guy who's trying, you know, it's like you're playing flag football with someone else's family and you're getting thrown in the bushes. And then all of a sudden you try kind of hard and, you know, somebody gets a bloody nose from your elbow and they're like, what's wrong with you? I mean, we've all been there before. Uh, I I think that if you as co-ed sports, too, if you're ever in a co-ed sports environment where everyone's kind of like drinking beer and having fun and playing volleyball and then you like start missing. Anyway, that's what happens in Meet the Parrot. The volleyball scene in the pool is amazing. I mean, that's that's one for the ages, I thought. What's your favorite scene, producer Mark? Oh, man, that's
3: hard. I mean, I think I'm going to say from Meet the Fockers when Jinxie, He ends up in the toilet in the RV because the dog shoved him in the toilet. I haven't even seen Meet the Fox. Oh, those are it's a great continuation. That's why I say it's the Meet Meet the Parents uh, series,
2: because there's a couple of them. I mean, I will. I think Meet the Parents is the best thing that Ben Stiller ever did, other than there's something about Mary, which is an amazing movie to go back and watch just because it's really a, a time capsule of how much. Society has changed in what it considers to be acceptable, <laughs> like for entertainment purposes. There is so much in there's something about Mary you would never be able to get away with now. I feel like Ever. you can say that about
3: almost every older television show from like the nineties early 2000s. Oh, Friends
2: has a lot of uh Friends makes a lot of lgBTq community kind of jokes and fat jokes. And there's a lot of stuff, even in Friends, which you think is the most saccharine, corporate-friendly, sponsor-friendly show imaginable. Oh, no, you there's a lot of stuff. There have actually been articles written by people at Vox and other, you know, beta male establishments about how Friends is, uh, you know, we shouldn't be celebrating it anymore. You know, I was watching uh, Disney with the Snow Princess. We were watching the Aristocats, as one does, so now you guys all know why I've been on a Disney kick, too. It's because Snow Princess and I, she likes to watch Disney stuff. So she likes Disney films. So I'm, we watched The Lion King recently. Lion King's great. Still yeah. moves really well, too. It's still great, even though it's yeah. old. Yeah, it's still great. Oh, it's great. Oh, the old Disney stuff is fantastic. The newer Disney stuff is, is not really as good. But, you know, we're watching uh, the even the Aristocats and they had I've never seen this warning before. Disney puts up in the, you know, like when they tell you that in a movie that there's, you know, nudity, strong language, whatever. They had a warning about outdated cultural stereotypes. That now you you can't have outdated cultural stereotypes in movies or you'll you'll get in trouble. Uh, So, for example, the Siamese cats. In uh, Lady and the Tramp, they've I think they cut that out of some versions of it now. Um, you can't do that. So I'm just saying, you know, they're even Disney, even the old Disney movies you, you can't get away with. And a lot of the old cartoons, you know, a lot of the old cartoons, I think people would have a, a problem with now, too. But anyway. All right. So let, let's get back in into the mix here on this. I just I think it's funny, they you know, hey, let's hear from Robert De Niro. What do you think about the pandemic, Robert? Oh, you know, I think uh, if the idiot wasn't running things, it would, you know. That's great. That's, uh, that's really, really so very helpful. Oh, and they also wanted to hear from, uh, from Al Gore. The fact that they almost made this guy President of the United States is appalling. And they really tried. He came very close. Play 14.
8: And to take your medical advice from a, a right-wing talk show host who brings some, uh, uh, some questionable medical advice into the Oval Office Instead of listening to the Centers for Disease Control, and and as was said earlier, where is the Centers for Disease Control? Uh, They're the ones that should be having these daily briefings. Where is the FDA? Were they bullied into opening the floodgates and letting all of these crummy tests Hmm. out there that we now know most of them don't work?
7: This is a disgrace. The entire handling of this matter has been an utter and complete disgrace.
2: Was the CDC bullied into putting the test out? Uh, no, you moron. The CDC put the tests out because they're an incompetent federal organization that gets billions of dollars usually to tell people to make sure their kids eat enough vitamins. The CDC does a lot of worthless stuff. All you have to do is look, do a Google search on CDC guidance and things. There's you know. Children should get, uh, you know, m- more more fruits and veggies in their diet every day. I mean, that's what the CDC is often spending its time doing. Certainly not preparing for pandemic disease response. They were caught caught napping and then some on this one. But thanks for hearing from Al Gore. Oh, my gosh. Democrats, Al Gore, Joe Biden, Kerry, it, people they put forward to be president. So many of them are, are just clownish losers.
0: Thanks for listening to the Buck, Sex, and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our team, I mentioned Operation Gideon, the failed
2: overthrow of Venezuelan dictator Nicolas Maduro at the top of the show. This is a real thing that happened that people are not paying very much attention to. It involves some former U.S. special operators, a whole bunch of money, some shady activists, and uh, other folks behind the scenes. What happened here? What went wrong? How could this have been done properly? We've got our friend Jack Carr to answer all this now. He's a former Navy SEAL and best selling author. Of the the latest book in his Terminalist series, Savage Son, which Jack I am listening to on audiobook, by the way, true story, very much enjoying it. Although the Turncoat CIA analyst, you know, I hope there's some good CIA analysts in there too. Like you know, some of the nerds are nice. So some of the nerds are patriots. Damn yeah. it.
6: This is true. This is true. Uh, they're, they're easy to pick on, kind of like politicians and, uh, you know, people in oh, no. They, no, one picked, no one picks house. on them more than I do.
2: Well, when you know them, then you really know what's going on. But anyway, congrats on all the success of the book. And I know I, I saw uh, Chris Pratt himself with the with the shout out for the Amazon series. So the word is out there now. You're going to have the Jack Carr series on Amazon, Savage Son, True Believer, all the Terminalist books. So, uh, all right, fantastic on that. Yeah. Now, now let's drill down, now that everyone who hasn't already heard knows they need to buy or download your book on audio. Uh, now we can talk about what went down here, man, in Venezuela. You got some former U.S. special operators, guys with real skill sets and real combat experience. They, they did
6: what? I mean, give us the overview. Oh, my goodness. So diving into this thing, just what a mess from start to finish. And not even start to finish, but – before the lead-up as far as uh, uh, not specific to this operation, but just their their mindset in doing anything, it seems. So you have this guy, Jordan uh, Goudreau. I don't know if I'm saying that name correctly originally from Canada. Uh, apparently he served in the U.S. Army from 2001 to 2016. And when someone gets out with a couple of years left, it's always a bit of a red flag. So I don't know what's going on there exactly. But at some point, I think he went to 18 Delta training uh, with Army Special Forces. So for those listening, that's uh, a medic training. Very well-trained guys. Um, And then got out and did some private contracting in Puerto Rico after Hurricane... Maria, which a lot of people I know did as well. They went down there to help. Um, And then after the Parkland shooting in Florida, wanted to get into school security side of the house and put together a plan to embed special operators in schools around the country. That didn't really take off. And then he started this thing called Silver Corp, which looks like a wannabe Blackwater with some pictures on there and some very strange video of him at a Trump rally pretending to be a Secret Service agent, if I'm not mistaken, with the earpiece in and had somebody there taking the video that then went up on site that didn't say he was really protecting Trump but it certainly gave the impression that he was protecting the president in an official capacity Uh, and then in February 2019 he went down to uh, uh, Colombia and worked security at a live aid concert to uh, raise money for the opposition and for the Venezuelan opposition party and apparently that's where this plan was hatched to put together a band of mercenaries and deserters from the Venezuelan army, and do some sort of an invasion of Venezuela and abduct the current president and fly him off to parts unknown. Uh, Wait, so, so just okay. You, okay. you mentioned
2: so, the live aid concert. Venezuela. He, this guy's actually he's doing security now. He was an SF guy, so he, and as you said, he was a medic. I mean, he he had the skill set, so he's not some. Uh, you know, weekend warrior soldier and a fortune guy who is like been to a, a, you know, a SIG training academy thing for two days and now thinks that he understands these things. Right. Not that those academies aren't great. They are. But you know what I mean? I mean, he actually served. Um, He goes to do the security for Richard Branson at a live aid concert. And basically he's at this concert and they're talking to people and it's like, let's do our own version of the Bay of Pigs. Except in Venezuela, not Cuba, we're going to do a snatch and grab with Nicolas Maduro, who does have a 15 million dollar U.S. bounty on his head. So this I mean, there's real cash here and also has been oppressing his people. And as we all know, Venezuela has just devolved into anarchy, chaos, starvation and, and just a complete mess. But the guy certainly understands security because he understands that his rule is with an iron fist and not with the consent of the people anymore. So then what happens after? So, so they hatch the plan. Then what goes down?
6: So I think there's a few months there. We're not exactly sure what's happening. But by late summer, by, by August, uh, he's now put, trying to get some investors. So instead of that $15 million after the fact from the U.S. government that you may or may not get, depending on what happens, he's looking for some upfront money, But uh, 213 million dollars from investors in this country and uh apparently uh, the craft one of the craft uh heirs was not really involved but at least listened to the pitch from what uh, my understanding is and then didn't support it apparently but this guy uh jordan uh goudreau goes ahead and somehow makes his way down to colombia and starts working with these deserters and another fascinating character is a former uh, venezuelan general who is now in custody in new york awaiting trial for selling uh, uh surface-to-air missiles for cocaine to some of these deserted uh, groups in colombia it's just it's a crazy cast of characters that I'm sure will be made into some sort of a uh, a movie at some point along the kind line. Just, they, but, they said uh, that
2: the, uh, the J.W. Marriott, where these guys all met up initially in Bogota, Colombia, was described in the, by the Associated Press as a center of intrigue among Venezuelan exiles. But for this occasion where Goudreau met with these guys, uh, conference rooms were reserved for what one participant described, as the Star Wars summit of anti Maduro goofballs, military deserters include uh, accused of drug trafficking, shady financiers, and former
6: Maduro officials seeking redemption. Wow. Oh, it's so great. You almost can't make it up. It's just, it's so great. I mean, if it didn't end so poorly for everybody, it would almost be comical like Delta farce that movie or something like that. But it did actually remind me of the beginning of invasion USA. For those who saw that in the mid eighties uh, where they have an invasion of this country by a band of uh, I mean, Chuck Norris destroys them all. It's great. But that's what I thought of when I saw the video, there's a lot of video out there. You can go online and check it out. But apparently There were two landing sites in Venezuela, uh, one where eight people were killed and the majority of the rest. So so this is execution
2: now. This is the execution
6: phase of the plan, what they try to do. Sorry, keep going. No, but even before that, we should probably jump back really quick and talk about um, how uh, there were some weapons and equipment. That were uh, intercepted by the Venez- or the Colombian government at some point, uh, and so Venezuela knew what was going on here. Uh, they knew something was in in the works, not just something, but they knew that an invasion was imminent to overthrow uh, the current president, and they were ready and waiting. So two beach landing sites, one of them where we have eight people killed and the rest of the people, are most of them anyway, arrested. And then there's another beach landing site where the two Americans, uh, it looks like anyway, another beach landing site um, where uh, daylight... Fish, a couple of fishing boats that don't look very seaworthy. Uh, and where a lot of the video of our two other, uh, army special forces guys are arrested along with some of the other, uh, invaders, mercenaries, deserters, um, or whatever you want to call them. So there's some, some, some video out there. That's, uh, not very flattering. And it also shows tremendous restraint. I thought on the side of the, the Venezuelan government and police and military forces, because they could have just mowed everybody down, uh, like in the Bay of Pigs. So, um, they didn't. They just killed eight, eight people and are currently searching for, I think, 92 others right now. So Jordan Goudreau is still, uh, my understanding, is still out there somewhere. And in the middle of all this, he does a video tweet with a Venezuelan captain from the National Guard talking about what's going on, that they're, they're, they're almost doing a play-by-play of what's happening. And they tag President Trump's Twitter account on this uh so i mean it's just fascinating the whole thing is absolutely incredible so now he has two of his buddies uh sf guys are detained in venezuela probably not the best place to be detained uh where we have no official relations right now there's no embassy there to help work on their uh, release uh so we have these two guys that are that are in custody that are being interrogated of course and we have the president of venezuela with their passports reading it off on the news and being able to, or at least his people say, Hey, look, we have the United States officially involved in trying to invade our country. Um, you know, we, we prevailed over the invaders and, uh, can rally some, some nationalism around him, uh, which probably helps him after what's been going on in his country for the past few weird years with everyone starving, no medical, uh, supplies treatment, that sort of thing. So it is just a mess. Yeah, uh, again, that's probably the best way to describe it. I definitely a mess. I mean, this, uh, this, this we, was a this was a, a go ahead, Jack. Go ahead. I was going to say that Kennedy, President Kennedy. So the Bay of Pigs wasn't really uh, wasn't a brainchild of the Kennedy administration. It was uh, hatched by the Eisenhower administration. So Kennedy actually inherited that plan. And uh, what he said in the lead up, although it was too late really to do much about it, uh, was that it seemed too large to be clandestine and too small to be successful. So uh, that's that's one of the, the parallels that we can look at when we're looking at this. Uh, which may be inspired by something like that, but what you really need in a situation like this is a whole of government approach and an invasion of like a 1989 invasion of Panama, even though we're essentially going after one person in that Manuel Noriega, uh, we brought a right. whole of government approach, obviously very heavy on the military side of the house and an invasion rather than some deserters. Right. so, so
2: I, I want to ask starving. I want to ask you about about this part of it because I feel like a lot of the audience will be thinking, okay, so, these guys thought they could pull this off. Some of them did have a real military skill set. A lot of these other guys, it seemed like they're just kind of in the mix for whatever reason. Um, but, but I want to ask, and just for everybody, we're, we're talking to Jack Carr, author of the Terminal List series. His new book out right now is Savage Sun. I am listening to it. It is, it is excellent. And you guys should all download it as well. Chris Pratt will be playing the main character in the Amazon series, which Jack has promised me will be better than the Jack Ryan series, which made the, granted, Handsome and intelligent CIA analyst uh, looked good. But the rest of the series was terrible in the second season. So Jack says this. I know he doesn't like to say that because he's working with Amazon now. That's fine. You you can plead the fifth. I'm just saying the second season I did not approve. I'm never going to deal with Amazon anyway. Uh, let me let me ask you about what if you were presented back to this situation in Venezuela, if you were presented with this plan. Uh, what would you, what would have been the initial, I and mean, look, I, now now we've seen how it went wrong, but what have, what would have been the flags where you're like, if you guys are going to pull off a coup, you got no chance because of the following?
6: Well, there's there's so much to work with there, and I feel a little bit bad about picking it apart uh, from here, from afar, especially when we have U.S. Uh, former military guys that are in custody down there. Um, but, I mean, just a, a background of what's going on here by looking at that Silver Corp site and uh, looking at what was, I did copy and pasted from the Department of Homeland Security site, looking at that kind uh, of fake video of this guy pretending to protect Trump at a at a, uh, at a rally, um, and some of the background there saying that they've advised that there are 50 countries around the world, and uh, have advised units like uh, Delta Force and and the SAS. Like right away, there's some red flag there when you're looking at a leadership from from, from a, uh, the leadership type perspective. Like who's leading this thing? This fly by essentially a fly by night corporation that was it was thrown up ad hoc it looks like um and then some of those things that those of us who have been in special operations would look at and say this just doesn't add up here throw this thing together 50 countries around the world this weird video that's out there just doesn't doesn't make sense so uh so there's that from, from the get-go and then you have to look at this thing as hey we'll look at some history here we have uh, we have so we can go back to the 1953 coup in iran okay we have some lessons learned out of that we kind of got we wanted for a while out of it although we're still dealing with the repercussions of that today uh we have bay of pigs we can learn a lot from that as well and we have something like the and, and, and then we get more specific to this area of the world and we look at the invasion of panama in 1989 and we see something that uh that worked we got the guy that we were after um, we have some lessons learned from that as well and then we look at all of that stuff holistically and plus what we learned in iraq and afghanistan and we look at that and apply it to this situation and it looks like. None of the lessons from any of these things were applied if they really wanted to go in there, wanted to uh, overthrow the government, wanted to essentially abduct the president and then take him to parts unknown uh, to maybe collect his 15 million dollars from the U.S. government. Uh, that part's unclear.
2: I mean, if you had let me if you had and this is not just in the in the theoretical space. Right. So we understand. So you're saying, look, these guys, they didn't think it through. They didn't do they they didn't have the lessons learned even from previous incursions into Latin America or other coups involving either U.S. or other international personnel. So they didn't really do the homework on it from that respect. You said that you either want to be lean and mean, small and quiet, or you want to just do what you said, Panama, like we're going all in. We're going to get one guy. We're going to control the battle space and then get this one guy instead of trying to sneak in the back door here. You know, a snatch and grab like the, if you were trying to write for a novel and your Jack's a former Navy SEAL, as you all know. But if you were trying to write for a novel here, you know, how would you would it? Would this be uh, a dozen guys, 20 guys if they had the right intel? How could this work out in the real world? You know what I mean? If you were wargaming it, if you were trying to do a snatch and grab, not a hit. Right. We don't do that. If you're trying to do a snatch and grab, take this guy back to the U.S. to face justice. How what would that look like?
6: Well, that's I think what the problem is. They looked at it through the lens of someone like me who is now writing fiction, instead of the lens of someone who is actually uh, planning these things in real life, either at the uh, the CIA or the military or, or whatever else. Um, so it, it looks like someone like me sat down and thought, well, what would be a great way to come up with for a yeah. novel? Yeah. Um, what's that? A great storyline? Yeah, it's it's what it sounds like. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, in real life, you either hit them hard, full U.S. government approach, you dominate that battle space, like you said, grab your guy like we did with Noriega, take him back uh, for trial. Okay, that's one way. Uh, The other way to do something like this in real life is through long-term covert action penetration programs uh, that uh, your former employers are more familiar with. So you're not uh, putting some guys in ninja suits, sneaking through the streets of the capital of a country to go essentially to their White House to, to snatch the president and then get him to an airfield and fly him off in what kind of an aircraft to wear. Like, uh, no, we have we have some lessons learned here. What you would really do is activate those deep penetration agents and uh, and you would either either it's assassination type thing or you have people ready to go to step up and to essentially arrest like an actual coup and arrest the president for doing things that are illegal uh, and put him in prison and probably try him in that country. Right. So work with, Work a,
2: within the that. work within the existing battle space in some capacity, either personnel who understand what's really going on. See, it seems like that was, I mean, it seems like this was in many ways for them an intelligence failure, intelligence victory, unfortunately, for the Maduro government, because they saw it coming a mile away. But knowing stuff in advance really? certainly certainly helps. But, uh, man, if, you, if you're looking for some fodder for a book down the line, this certainly will provide it. Um, Jack Carr, everybody, check out the latest that he's got in the Terminal List series, Savage Sun, which you hear me talking about on the show, because I am, in fact, listening to it, and it's great. Mr. Jack Carr, congrats again. I want a signed, you know, Jack Carr slash Chris Pratt savage Sun book. All right. One day.
6: Absolutely. Absolutely. Done.
0: All right, man. Thanks so much for joining us. Good to talk to you.
6: You too. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening to the Bus, Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Friday. So I wanted to give you guys all the great voices, all the
2: great special on-air treats I could. And with that in mind, we had to go with all six foot ten of him. Jesse Kelly joins us now, the host of I'm Right with Jesse Kelly on Pluto TV's The First. Also the syndicated radio host, Mr. Jesse Kelly. And one day, perhaps even, who knows, President of the United States or something, Jesse Kelly. He's He's got big aspirations for himself. Although today, I will tell you... He is, uh, he is out there, and he is going the full Miami Vice right now because I can see him as we're doing this interview. I love it. And he's like Don Johnson in the 80s, except his, his shirt is not pink, but he's wearing a T-shirt with a blazer. I'm sorry, is, it, is this like two-for-one night at the, out in Boca or something? What's going on here with the, the T-shirt and the blazer, Jesse?
8: You know, you know what this is called, Buck? This is called Friday mode, man. This is called Friday mode, just laid back and chilling. I mean, look, I, I'm always... The best, but on Friday I like to give people the best version of relaxed Jesse because I'm here to get you and all
2: your amazing viewers into the weekend mode, and that's what I'm here for. Man. I just I feel like uh, it also led me astray in the early, in the early days on Miami Vice. I figured, wow, you can be a cop and drive around in the equivalent of like a two hundred fifty thousand dollar Ferrari as long as you live on a houseboat and have a pet alligator.
8: <laughs> there you go. I I. I you know what else miami vice did and and all miami tv shows and movies do this exact same thing miami beach is a beautiful place and it has some of the most beautiful women you've ever seen in your life so all that's true but almost every time they show miami shows or they show miami on a show or a movies they always make it look as if it's some tropical paradise, some glistening paradise, when so many parts of Miami are absolutely run down holes. It has beautiful parts to it, but I have felt more unsafe in Miami than I ever did in Baghdad.
2: Right. Well, I was going to say Miami Vice was like a tourism ad for a city that actually in the <laughs> a- in the 80s, there were broad daylight, full-on machine gun shootouts between cartel assassins. It was one of the most violent places in the world for a for civilian crime stuff. Oh. It was out of control, but it was a great oh, it's show. Worse, it's
8: it's worse. It's worse than that. It was a great show. It's worse than that. People don't realize. Like the entire Miami skyline was built on cocaine money. Oh yeah. I'm not making that up. That's not just like something. That, uh, the a the, the crazy thing to say. You can watch the documentary. Cocaine it's Cowboys. A documentary called. Cocaine Cowboys. Yep. That's right. And they talk about it, how all of a sudden there was a bank on every corner because they're all laundering money. And virtually everything you see in Miami was built from cocaine. It's just and when you go there, you realize why.
2: So, Jesse, I, I was going to ask you about some of the news of the day, but I, I also wanted to get your take on the Waco series. Even if you haven't seen it, I just want to get your take on Waco in general. But the Waco series on Netflix uh, is fa- I finished it last night. It's phenomenal. Uh, Taylor Kitsch should have gotten some kind of I don't know if he got any awards, but not that anyone cares about those awards these days. But he gave a remarkable performance as David Koresh. And I was just noting that, you know, it's a tough week for the FBI, given the stuff with Flynn. And now also a lot more people have seen this Waco situation. First off, have you seen the show? And second, just in general, even if you haven't seen it, what 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 should people remember about what happened in Waco, Texas at that standoff with feds?
8: Well, one, I'm two episodes in, but two, I have seen the story. I obviously know the story very well. I know the Ruby Ridge story too, which obviously they cover in Waco, which is as bad or worse than Waco actually was. I mean, not for total loss of life, but it was really, really ugly. And look, all people should take away from it is you can't necessarily trust the criminal justice system, man. You can't necessarily trust the government. I'm not saying you need to rebel against it, But there is this way of thinking in America that you have to either, you know, respect police or you have to be this anti-cop scumbag. Uh, You can actually just be a normal, well-reasoned, thinking human being who realizes that cops... Law enforcement in general, most of them are putting their butts on the line for you every single day. While at the same time, they are the enforcement arm for every bad government policy there is. We see it right now when they're locking up salon owners. it's—it's it's, it's The history of the world says that cops and the military will be used by an overreaching government to enforce bad policies and americans especially people on the right when you've heard our people do this buck of oh the military would would never enforce these anti-constitutional gun laws oh cops would never go along with that i hope you're all paying attention now you've all seen a two-month example of They will go along with anything they're told to do because it's their mortgage on the line. It's their car payment on the line. The government tells them to go arrest some poor sap for paddle boarding in the ocean. It's mobilize the police boats, baby. They're going to go put them in cubs.
2: Jesse, actually, that's a a perfect transition as well into this story that's now getting a lot of attention because the president has commented on. Actually, uh, uh, producer Mark, do you have the... Uh, do you have the president's comments on this one? If you do, just play it, and I'll tell Jesse when we come back from it. Yeah, play clip seven.
1: So I saw the tape, and it's very, very disturbing, the tape. I got to see it. It's very disturbing. I looked at a picture of that young man. He was in a tuxedo, and, uh, in fact, you put it up. Uh, and I, I will say that that looks like a really good young guy, and it— it looks very, it's a very disturbing situation to me. And I just, uh, you know, my heart goes out to the parents and the family and the friends. Uh, but uh, yet we have to take it, you know, law enforcement's going to look at it. And uh, they have a good governor in the state and he's going to, very good governor, actually. And he's going to be looking at it very strongly and he's going to do what's right. But it's a it's a heartbreaking thing. You know, that was very rough, rough stuff.
2: So, Jesse, President Trump saying that the, uh, the video that he's seen of, of Ahmed uh, Ahmed Arbery um, is heartbreaking stuff. It looks really bad. You know, they've got a good governor, though. They're going to look into this. Law enforcement now has taken action. They're arresting people. There seem to be a, a tremendous amount of back and forth on social media. I came a little late to this story. I, I feel like I've just been looking at it in the last 24 hours. But what well, we, we had, a, 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 a Mr. Arbery was jogging two guys who were near, near their pickup truck, they had shotguns and they tried to get him to stop. And they said, I believe that they were trying to affect the citizens arrest because of burglaries that had happened in the neighborhood. Arbury had some kind of, uh, you know, some kind of confrontation with them that, that these guys forced. And then he got shot and he was killed. Now there's video of it. First off, am I, am I, is the narrative and I, I might be a little off is the narrative essentially right on the facts there. And what's your take on what happened here and what, what's the it doesn't seem like there should be much argument. It looks like these guys killed this guy and they're not cops. And what the heck were they doing?
8: Well, there's not much argument out there. People are acting as if, oh, this is a this is a why are Why are people standing up against this? Virtually every single person is standing against this. It's not much of an argument. This is not one of those cases where you see like five seconds of a police video that looks really bad. And everyone jumps to conclusions and then you get the rest of the story and all of a sudden you look like an idiot. No, we saw the whole thing on video. We have all the background on it. It looks like a former police officer. That's the dad and his son. The dad apparently had some sort of investigative history with this Ahmad Arbery, so he knew him in some way but they tried to stop him with weapons when the guy was apparently out jogging. There was not even an accusation that he was doing anything wrong. We even have a 911 transcript of them calling 911 and the operators asking, why are you calling 911? And they essentially say, well, I mean, I don't really know. They don't have an answer. Look, it looks bad. It is bad. The bad part is this happened in February, man. We all saw the video yesterday, and those guys were just arrested last night after all this social media rage we saw, and it shouldn't take that, and people are losing faith in law enforcement. So all that's bad, but allow me to also say this. One, this is not an opportunity for people like LeBron James to become some civil rights leader, which he badly wants to be, talking about how black men are out there being hunted. We don't know that. We don't know a motivation. We can talk about the fact that an innocent man was apparently gunned down and feel for his family without instantly making everything as if you're Martin Luther King. You're not. Stop with that. That's one. Two, the people on the right, I see it. I, this drives me crazy. I've seen it all over the media. Of This is a modern-day lynching. We can't have this lynching of all these people on the right with this stupid language. People, just because the left has called you racist for the last 30 years, doesn't mean you are and it doesn't mean you have to overcompensate every time a black dude gets killed to try to really prove how not racist you are i have black friends i said lynching doesn't that make me one of the incorrect people you can just judge each case as it is the dude wasn't a black man he was a dude who got murdered that's really bad it's bad enough feel for his family Cry for justice, which we're apparently going to get, and it's fine. You're not Martin Luther King. You don't have to check out all the woke boxes just because the left has been lying about what you believe.
2: Co-sign. I mean, I think I think that pretty much covers it on that case. I and mean, it looks like it looks like a uh, you know, then these guys are charged with manslaughter or murder and. Unless there's something we don't really know, which doesn't seem like there is, they should spend a whole lot of time in prison. Uh, that, that's the way it is, you know. Well, um,
8: I, I will tell you, I, I will tell you, sorry to interrupt you real quick, but I, I always, because I'm so hesitant on these things because of all the outrage, I'm hesitant to ever co- or ever even comment on it. I looked into this quite a bit over the last 24 hours. it, it, it it is apparently as bad as it looked initially. This is it, it looks pretty open. Well, I just think about it all. It's embarrassing. It also to took from this from, long from and up.
2: you know you always hear this stuff from from the left wing media of oh and the, even now I'm like there's was there any controversy I didn't hear any controversy and you're like no there's no I mean when I say there's no controversy there's no two sides. That are one side saying, yeah, "Yeah, this looks like it's total." I haven't seen anyone say this looks this looks like it was a clean shoot or a legal shoot or, a you know, law enforcement uses different terms for it. Self-defense. I haven't seen anybody making that case based on the video. And it reminds me of when that guy uh, that that African-American man was shot running away from the cop. I think it was in South Carolina. And there was all this lib outrage about see conservatives are even defending this. Every single conservative in media I know was like, that was murder. Send that dude who shot him to prison for like there was no there wasn't uh, a back and forth over that. Like people don't actually defend people murdering other people on the right. uh, And the left seems to like to pretend this game or pretend that that's what happens. But I I think I think we've pretty much. Cover where this one is. Uh, We're speaking to Jesse Kelly, everybody. He is the host of the Jesse Kelly show on radio. And also, I'm right with Jesse Kelly on Pluto TV's the first, which is why I can see him, which is why I'm giving a hard time about his Miami Vice outfit today. Uh, But I also wanted to transition, Jesse, because you're one of the you're one of the few. I mean, I can kind of count most of the of the skeptics uh, out there. And when I say skeptics, I just mean people that ask questions, right? People that are saying, hold on a second about this. You've been very vocal about the damage to the economy and how the lockdowns were a bad idea. I was even more vocal about it for me initially. And then I was just like, OK, people are crazy. I can't even, <laughs> I can't take this. And now I'm like, all right, this has gotten so bad. I'm going to be vocal about it again. Um, and there are, you know, Berenson, uh I, I don't know. I mean, Matt Walsh is very, very much uh, in favor of reopen. I mean, there's. There's like a few dozen of us that have been yelling about this for a long time online. What's it going to take, man? Because when, when, I, I guess now, has it just become so political that it doesn't matter how much suffering there is and how many people are losing their businesses and their life savings in the process? As long as this crushes Trump, it's worth it to people? Is that where we are? Uh,
8: to be honest, Buck, it's even worse than that. It's all a game of percentages, man. It's all a game of percentages. Poll after poll after poll continually shows that 60-70% of the people are okay with this. And the reason for that is, yeah, we've got 40, 50 million Americans probably unemployed. That's probably the real number. It's not 33 million, it's a lot more than that. Everyone knows that. But virtually everyone else is either still getting a paycheck or because of that idiot bill they passed, that $2 trillion bill, everyone was cheering. They're paying people the equivalent of $52,000 a year to be unemployed. I personally know business owners, more than one, who have called their employees because we're opening back up in Texas and said, hey, it's about time to get back to work. And their employees have said, no, I'm making more money now. So not only have we crushed jobs, but we're paying people to stay home. Therefore, most of the public—not all—I'd say 30% of the public wants to open back up. The rest of the people are either still getting a check or they're making more money on unemployment. So the politicians look at these numbers and think, "Keep them locked down," and we are kicking this can down the road. And we—the pain is now just because it's delayed. Oh, it's—it's it's really, really bad, Buck. I don't—I know it's a Friday. I don't want to bring anybody down. But as bad as you think it is. If I were to actually go into all the details of what's happening in this economy, it's 10 times worse than that. We what,
2: are What's you going to take serious the, the problem here, you know, the, the politicians, you know, Cuomo and these people that have been heralded in the media. Has been, it, Cuomo has been a disaster in New York. I mean, his his contribution so far has been long over overblown press conferences that didn't give us data that we couldn't have gotten in two slides in two minutes. And then also sending people with COVID-19 back into nursing homes. That, that's been his contribution to the fight against COVID-19 in New York. It's been it's been a, and complaining about ventilators. And then turns out we don't need them. Uh, but the fact that people and this is my concern, the people in a majority still want the lockdown to continue. You broke down why some people are still getting a paycheck. Some people don't understand the economic implications. What does it take for that number nationally to move so that people realize we got to reopen? Person. Has has to become personal for enough people, and it hasn't yet. That's just the truth of the matter.
8: But for two months, a lot most people are either collecting unemployment, they're watching Netflix, they're day drinking, which God, God love them for that. But as soon as people start showing up at the supermarket and there's no meat, then they'll realize. As soon as the unemployment checks stop coming, then they'll realize. As soon as we open back up and you have exactly half of the restaurants you used to have, then they'll realize. I mean, people are not going to... It's official now. We live in a country sadly unless until it becomes personal people don't care i thought the one the one thing i've ever been wrong about ever in my life bug was at the very beginning of this i told everybody we were going to have 30 plus million unemployed people everyone told me i was an idiot and i was wrong and of course i turned out to be right like always but what i said was once we hit that number america will freak out and wake up and they'll turn on a dime and say open us back up That's what I was wrong about. They still don't give a crap until until 51 percent of this population is flat, broken, busted. We won't open back up again.
2: I think you're right, which is really (laughs) disconcerting. But uh, he is right because that's the name of his show. I'm right with Jesse Kelly. That's the place you should go on Pluto TV to check him out. Also, listen to the Jesse Kelly show and down in KPRC Houston a fantastic radio lineup there they have jesse kelly and buck sexton so that makes it the best radio station in houston no question check
0: them out jesse thanks for your time man be good man you're in the freedom hut this is the buck sexton show podcast
5: i mean it's been stunning actually how the the Some of his surrogates with the blue checks, you know, that are his surrogates have been saying really horrible things about me and to me on social media. Um, He has not himself, but there is a measure of hypocrisy with the campaign saying it's safe, it's not been safe. You know, all my social media has been hacked. All my personal information has been dragged through. Every person that maybe has a, you know, a gripe against me, an ex-boyfriend or an ex-landlord or whatever it is, has been able to have a platform rather than me. Um, talking about things that have nothing to do with 1993, like even the whole thing with being called a Russian agent, that in particular, um, that incites people. People actually, I got a death threat from that because they thought I was being a traitor to America. And I mean, these are serious things. Like, And his campaign is taking this position that they want all women to be able to speak safely. I have not experienced that.
2: We will not forget The allegations against Joe Biden here on the show, nor will we allow it to go uh, without notice that there are people who are working for the election of Joe Biden, who are supporting him, who are trying desperately to silence Tara Reid and her thus far entirely credible, not proven, but credible allegation of sexual assault that does have contemporaneous corroboration. We're not going to let this go. The Democrats, the libs, they pretend to have certain principles, certain goals in mind for women. And we know that they're frauds and we will hold them accountable for that. So I know we didn't talk about this much today in the show, but I will deep dive with you on this on Monday. Don't think that I'm letting this one slide. Joe Biden and the Democrats are going to answer for what they need to here. It's going to happen.
0: Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Like soft butter on warm toast. Time to spread some freedom coast to coast. It's time for Roll Call.
2: Roll Call,
0: everybody. You know what that
2: means. We get to hear from all of you. Please make sure you check in on BuckSaxon.com. And uh, you also are subscribed to our podcast. One really amazing thing is that uh, I've been told by our digital team that our podcast people tend to listen to it the whole thing, which is really rare in the world of podcasts because we do a pretty we do a pretty long show and put the whole thing out. You know, if I just wanted to producer mark and I just wanted to juice up the numbers a bit, we could put out like a 30 or 40 minute podcast. Oh, people download that. And it seems like that's an easier listen. But we put out the whole show every day. And you wonderful folks who do me the constant honor of giving me some of your time and producer Mark giving us some of your time. Uh, you, you are listening to the whole show and that really means a lot to us. So please continue to spread the word about the Buck Sexton Show podcast and uh, we'll continue doing what we do here. Uh, remember, you can listen to it on Spotify is really easy for those of you who are on Spotify, the iHeart app. You can also go to the uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, or just the Apple podcast app is a type in Buck Sexton. It should pop up very, very uh, straightforward. So please do listen. And, and as importantly, tell people about the show it really helps us out. All right. Roll call, David. Oh, and YouTube. I can't forget youtubecom slash Buck Sexton. If you want to see what we're doing on the on the Pluto TV channel and we'll also post some exclusive content there, we're going to be doing more and more of that. You know, the problem I have now is I'm spending so many hours every day doing radio that I really I really actually am running out of time to do anything else on any given day. So uh, because I'm doing five hours of radio, which is a lot for anybody, five hours of solar radio. I've never heard of anyone else doing that. I'm sure there are some people who have done it, but I don't know. That's not not common. Uh, David writes in. Hey, Buck, you're a few years younger than I am. But I remember when I was a kid, if somebody got chicken pox, our parents would have chicken pox parties. So we could all get out of the way. Obviously, different different virus, but same premise. Um, David, I've heard of this, and yeah, I think people have done this with with. Uh, I mean, I think measles is more dangerous than chickenpox. I, I don't really know though, so don't take my my word on that one. Uh, yeah, I've, I've heard of this. Um, you know, chickenpox can actually come back later on in life as shingles too. And uh, interestingly enough, I, as a teenager, had I had I had chickenpox as a little kid. But I actually had shingles as a teenager, which is very rare. And they had no idea why. But yeah, I had full-blown shingles when I was about 18. And to give you a sense of how brilliant doctors are, the first dermatologist, a specialist that I went to, thought that it was spider bites. It was not spider bites. I had to go back, and because it, it spread and grew and was very painful. It was on the, on the trunk my body and and they still. I was like, why am I getting? I'm a healthy kid. I was 18. I was in great shape. I felt fine. Why am I getting shing? You know, usually it happens to people with a weakened immune system when they're older, and it's a recurrence of the chickenpox uh, chickenpox uh, chicken virus that stays in your system. It lies dormant in your system and comes back later on. It can be very bad for particularly older people if you get. Uh, it tends to happen on the trunk or on the face, and if it gets near your eyes, you can actually go blind from it. I think so. You got to be very careful with. Uh, Shingles is very painful, too. Anyway, um, Ed writes, Producer Mark and Buck, glad you're making it through the great lockdown of 2020. Thank you both for what you give us out here in lockdown America. Well, thank you, Ed. My talk radio roots go way back to before the late 1980s when Rush was doing caller abortions. Hmm. During the Waco incident, talk host G. Gordon Liddy always referred to the HRT as the, wow, as the hostage roasting team, it sticks with me to this day, and I think of it every time you mention Waco, driving, listening with Shields High. Well, thank you, Ed. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, everybody listening to this one, if you're looking for a show on Netflix, that Waco show is, and it was originally, was it a, what was it on, um, what channel was it? Paramount Network. On? What, what was it called? Paramount Network. It was Paramount Network. Really? So I think it was just what, like, FX used is, is what FX is now. Oh, well yeah, well, yeah, that's right. I think it was an FX series, and now it's owned by Paramount. Um, but it was a, yeah, uh, it's a very good series, a very good show. I highly, highly recommend uh, you check it out. And Taylor Kitsch, who some of you would know from, he played Gambit in one of the... Uh, X-Men movies briefly. So if you saw what well, was it was the Wolverine movie, I think. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know what you're talking about, but I don't remember him in it. Yeah, I forget what. The, yeah, he was in it. He was like, my name is Remy Lebeau. I have a weird French accent and I'm Gambit, you know, uh, and he's only in the movie for a couple of seconds. It is not it's not a good appearance, really, because the Gambit character they don't I didn't think they did a good job with at all. But uh, he's also from Friday Night Lights, which is a show that I liked a lot, even though it had its problems. Um, but he, the Waco, you got to you got to watch it because here here's the one this factoid. I knew this before, but this comes up at the end. FBI said you had 75 people die, uh, either burned to death or smoke inhalation in, in the Waco compound. And FBI made no provision to put out the fire after they used the uh, CS gas. So the whole the, when the building catches on fire, they didn't think and they'd been parked outside for like two months. OK, no one thought to have fire trucks handy. That's not exactly great planning. It's not like they were short on time to figure this out either. And then initially the FBI claimed that they did not use any incendiary devices of any kind while they were using the CS gas to drive them out of the compound, tear gas, basically, drive them out of the compound. And then it came out, oh no, they use flashbang grenades, grenades, which can be an incendiary device. So they lied. They lied about it. Which, you know, FBI... Cannot lie, you know. Maybe they should like put that on big uh plaques and put it all over the J. J. Edgar Hoover Building in D.C. Quite a guy to name the FBI building for. When you think about some of his stuff. Anyway, uh, I really recommend you see the Waco show, surely And by the way, you know, other thing is, yeah, the Branch Davidians. I mean, David Koresh was a nut job and a pedo, and you know, a lot of terrible stuff going on there too. But we expect the FBI to act appropriately, even when dealing with Koresh-like nutjobs. jobs. Uh, Shirley, have you seen patients, uh, videos of patients being wheeled out of the hospital after surviving complicated treatment for COVID, staff lining the halls clapping? I'd guess there are over 50 staff standing right next to each other but wearing masks inside a hospital. Yet fill in the blank. Can't be in a salon, can't be in a church, et cetera, et cetera. Um... Well, surely, I mean, surely, I think I get what you're trying to say here. But keep in mind that in a hospital, they're being—I exp- mean, they're wearing protective equipment and they're—they're they're all being exposed to the virus. So they're—they're they're inherently being exposed to the virus. It's a little different than say in a grocery store or something like that. But we'll keep it. We got to keep an eye on, make sure that the standard is applied universally through all these different jurisdictions that are saying you have to wear wear masks. But you know, hospitals—they—they—they're on. They're dealing with this stuff, and so. They they know they know what they're uh, what they're up against at this point. Dave, how is it that China opened up a while back, but we are still closed with talk of kids not going back to school in the fall? Dave, that is a very good question for which nobody really has a great answer. Did China really control this thing or is China pretending to have it under control? We know China not just uh, not only lied about it. In the early stages, but also the Chinese uh, government was stockpiling equipment to deal with it when they were telling everybody else that, you know, there was no big deal here. It's going to be fine. And we know they lied about the casualties they suffered from this. But have they using extreme measures, have they really managed to contain, which I guess is the best way to describe it, contain the virus? There are some other countries that seem to have achieved a state of containment right now, Australia, Japan, South Korea, They seem to have this contained, but they're also not fully returned. So they have it contained, but they haven't really fully returned to normal life either. So I think that's notable. Um, But the answer is I don't I don't know exactly uh, what. And and I don't think anybody really knows exactly how true China's containment is and and what they've done well that we could emulate over here. Uh, Eric. He's a very smart character, this Eric. He writes in the subject line, I love producer Mark. Gee, I wonder if when producer Mark is looking for roll call segments, that is going to catch his attention. Eric, you are a smooth operator. Yeah, that,
3: that was very smart, I admit. And I rarely yeah. include the subject line in the email, but, I mean, when I sent right. it to you. But, but Eric, had to Eric, Eric,
2: <laughs> Eric worked the system on this one. we got to give him credit for it. Quick question, Buck. Do you think the salon case in Dallas will end up in the Supreme Court to determine the constitutionality of it. I hope it gets deemed unconstitutional to set a precedent for the next time the Libs try to pull this again. What are your thoughts? Eric, I don't—it's not going to go that far. I think the state is likely to drop all charges against her. Um, And, you know, we've seen this now with the Supreme Court decision that I actually think was the wrong one for guns and the transportation of legally owned firearms here in New York— where all they had to do was once they got caught with what was clearly an unconstitutional law, they changed the law a little bit. And then when it makes its way to the Supreme Court, the, the Supreme Court says it's a moot point. It doesn't matter anymore. So if the lockdown, you know, I, I, I would think that some of this stuff we're seeing in lockdowns, if people sue when they're suing for relief, unless they can prove specific damages to themselves or their business, which I'm sure a lot of people could. But, you know, this is going to get very complicated. But they're going to also say, well, look, this is no longer the law, so we don't really have to worry about this, do we? Um, That seems to me to be at least somewhat the precedent that was set in that Supreme Court case.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right. Roll call
2: continuing here. Buck, love the show. Listen to the podcast every day. This is from Nate. Thank you so much, Nate. Here in Virginia, Comrade Northam just extended our non-essential business shutdown for the whole state, despite 50% of Virginia's cases being limited to the counties and cities around D.C. and Richmond. I live in a small city in the western part of the state. We only have 20 confirmed cases and one hospitalization. I spoke to a friend whose wife is a nurse with the UVA health system, and according to her, only three of the hospital's 20 ventilators have been used. My parents are in the high risk category, but even they say this has gone on way too long. We're all just tired of being cooped up in our houses. Yeah, I I hear this from more and more people, even who are in the high risk category in New York, too. They're saying you guys, we might be a little slower, but you who are at lower risk, if you want to go out there, you should be able to. You should be able to open your businesses, go to work and start to engage in day to day life and commerce and things like going to the gym. If the gym in my in my building where I live opened and I live in a building with hundreds and hundreds of residents. So the gym can be very busy. Um, if the gym in my building opened up, uh, I would go tomorrow. It's just the truth. I mean, I know there's some risk or whatever. And, you know, I try not to touch my eyes a lot after touching the shared equipment and stuff. But you know, what, what else are you going to do? Because, uh, man, I'm, I'm getting a little slower and a little rounder every day right now. I've done I've been doing some push ups here and there when I can, but. You know, it's tough to motivate to do push ups when, like, you're just wearing sweats all day. And the most exciting part of your day is picking out what you're going to watch on TV and, you know, what you're going to put on the popcorn you're making, slash, the ice cream you're eating, slash, the cookies that you might be baking. You know what I mean?
3: What happened yeah. to that 100 push up challenge?
2: I got about seven days into it, and then okay. I got a headache and I uh, kind of fell off. Okay. I did it for a week, though.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, that's more than so I did, I
2: guess. Yeah, I mean, so I, I probably should get back to it because it's supposed to be 30 days, not seven. bucks. yeah, good. Good point. Good reminder that Malta podcast, you know, I got a to do list. I, got uh, I would list. put
3: the Malta podcast above the pushups.
2: <laughs> That's just me. All right. All right. Fair enough. Oh, Nate writes more. I didn't even see this. I get a laugh. Perfect timing. Whatever you and producer Mark discuss pet options. I've had guinea pigs for about eight years. They're very friendly and common, great attributes for when you're stuck at home during a pandemic, plus easy to maintain. If you really want to be ambitious, you can get their South American cousin, the capybara, which is truly a an R O U S, a rodent of unusual size. Keep up the great work, shields high. Um, Nate, can you legally get a capybara in America? I know they're like rats that are the size of dogs, literally the size of dogs. They're rodents Excuse that are me, huge. What? Yeah, they're the do Google's or no, Google no, no I don't, I don't want to. No, they're kind of cute though, because no. they don't have a scary looking rat face. Just or get rat a dog. Pant. Yeah, or or just get well, a. You, you so basically, you want me to get a subway rat? G- no, no,
3: no, a thirty-pound subway rat. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if you saw one of those on the subway, would you?
2: Especially, yeah, I feel like <laughs> you don't know been what they these days down <laughs> yeah, there. I, exactly. I've definitely seen some rats that I feel like were three or four pounds three or which four which, i've
3: which, seen ones that are at least co- close to 10 come on yes
2: come on like you've never seen one on the subway would be absolutely i might be exaggerating evil. a little bit but like there's some huge rats down on the subway system yeah man that's a perfect environment for them they are people just throwing trash and food down there all the time they can you know they have no real they have no real predators people throw so. trash on the tracks as if there's not like a garbage can 10 feet away from them I, I, you know, I didn't, I never understand why people can't take better, better care of the trash in the subway. And then they laws. complain
3: when the subway shuts down because
2: the trash is on fire or something. Yeah, I know. Huh. It's crazy. Jake keeps it going here. Uh, Buck, you really should move to Nashville. You would have access to an iHeartRadio facility, no state income tax and minimum state gun laws, not to mention freedom. You could live in the middle of the city if you wanted to stay urban, or you could live in a suburban rural area if you wanted to breathe clean air. Not paying state income tax, you could probably fly back to see your family in NYC once a month and still come out ahead. Jake, uh, that is a very feasible and enticing plan. So don't think that that has not crossed my mind, especially as the New York shutdown continues to drag on and on. I love Nashville. Great town. I actually just spoke to a friend yesterday out in Denver about trying to go out and see our friends at 93.7 fm in denver so once the world opens up and i can start to travel again they mean that i've been promising klbj austin and i've been promising now recently 93.7 fm denver that i'll make stops there so those are two very high on the list for me but we got we got a lot of places a lot of places we want to visit you know a lot of things that we want to want to check out and see i mean we got wrno in new orleans i love new orleans Bruce and Mark, we go on a little, a little field trip down there. Check that out.
3: Yeah, as long as you're taking producer Mark with you, I'm okay with all of this. Yeah.
2: I've never even been in Nebraska, KFAB in Omaha, Nebraska. Love to check out the KFA, uh, KFAB folks. They've been loyal Team Buck listeners for years. We've got so many. We got so many places. WHP in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. WHP has been with us since the beginning of this show. They were early Buck leavers. And so that's old school team buck there as well. Um, So, you know, we got W.A.E.B., Allentown, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, another great station that I I mean, these are all places I want to go visit Been promising to do it for a while. But, you know, it's tough when the planes are all shut down. So I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to make it happen. Uh, J.J., those who believe in the sacredness of a government's right to supreme power is a belief that the government is a benevolent parent who will make you live in a warm, uh, protected bubble with no cares or worries. They are perpetual children, deluding themselves that they are giving up their choices for the greater good, afraid of the consequences of people allowed to make their own choices. I don't think I have much to add to that. Thanks, JJ. Team, have a fantastic weekend. Shields high.